As David Bagnell comes to read God's word to us, I'd like to invite you to turn uh, to the book of Exodus. It's from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. We're reading from chapter 21. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He, sh- he shall also bring him to the door, or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slave do. If she does not please the master, who is betrothed to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. Well, a very good morning to everybody. It's nice to see you all. Now, I have a theory. And my theory is this. I find that preaching in Britain goes to the head, but it doesn't get to the heart. And the education system is producing little businessmen and little businesswomen who've got to do SATs, meet requirements. And I think that sort of mindset is also coming through our Christian preaching in the churches. And our theme this morning is being submitted or surrendered to Jesus Christ. So I would like you to speak to me, speak, I'd like you to pray with me, should I say, that as we look into this passage, not your head would be moved, but your heart would be moved. Because your heart will get to your character. And shall we pray and ask God to speak? We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for all that we've heard today. But I do really want you to speak to me. I don't need information, but I do need revelation. And I pray just like the sun that shone on the man to rid him of his coat. You would shine your love and your word and your spirit into my heart. That I might be like Jesus and be fired with the love of God. So help me please, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, a few months ago, in a national newspaper, there was a young lady by the name of Jennifer Sutton. And Jennifer Sutton was going to an art gallery. She was 23 years of age. And with the scar still on her chest, she went to see her own heart. Because in the gallery was the transplant. And this weird gallery probably paid her some money to get the thing. But once the transplant had done, she went to see her own heart. And this is what she said. My first reaction was when I saw it, yuck, she said. But I was very curious and excited to see it. 
It was slightly surreal, but amazing at the same time to see the object that caused me such pain and anguish. Miss Sutton finished this article. I feel amazing and I can't remember feeling healthier than, uh, for many days. I was, I'm now feeling great. I am eternally indebted to the donor. And one day I would like to meet the family and say a very big thank you. Well, folks, we're going to look at being submitted to God. Now, this morning I could just, if it were, I could get a big stick and beat you all down and say, get committed, get submitted. But actually, folks, all I get there is a will being broken or bent. And what we need to do, just like this Hebrew slave, he said, I love my master, I therefore will not go out. Now, that wasn't just his head, was it? That was his heart, his devotion. And the word submission, it means to accept an enemy's demands, to give oneself up, to give oneself over to a habit or emotion, to give up your rights, to act, to uh, the act of instantly surrendering. And folks, what I want to do this morning, I want to start by asking a question. Do you find as you look around the UK and your town and cities and your university campuses and work situations, do you find that you meet Christians who seem to go sideways or do you find that some of them don't seem to really be stuck in here and do you find there's people saying I'm a Christian and then months down the line they could have gone a wall or they could have gone absent? Well, I think the first thing we've got to remember is that when Jesus Christ buys us and when he wins us, as Tim was saying at the cross this morning, when he redeems us, he doesn't buy 50%. He buys everything. A few years ago, a scally from Liverpool... Now, I know if you come from posh places like Yorkshire, you don't have scallies. You have young people. You understand that? But um, a scally from Liverpool was sold for £27 million. His name was Wayne Rooney. The following week, the Reds at Old Trafford were playing the Blues where he'd just come from. Now, what would you think of him coming on in his Everton kit and playing as the 12th man for that team? It'd be silly, wouldn't it? Ferguson would say, Mr Rooney, if it's not dawned on you, we've bought you. You're playing for us. You see, folks, you've got to get into your heart and my heart that when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die for 90% of you. He died for the lot. He died for all of me. And he died for all of you. And it's no good me saying, get committed, surrender, surrender. It's all to do with our heart and our devotions, isn't it? And what I want us to do, I want us to take a look at our hearts and then surrender because the one we've come to know as our saviour is also the one we love. On the 11th of May, 1985, Bradford City Football Club started a football match. It was against Lincoln City. It was halfway through the the first half and there was a fire. 40,000 people died in the crush and most of them died because somebody else stood on them. Last year on Radio 5 Live, February the 14th, 
there was a phoning program that said, as it's Valentine's Day, tell us how you meet and how you met. And this woman picked up the phone. She said, I want to tell you my story. I went to a football match, February, uh, sorry, May 1985, Bradford City against Lincoln City. And she said, I was in a tremendous mess because of this fire. She said, I was passing out because of the fumes. When a tall man, and I only know his name as John, pushed me over a wall and I got to safety. She said, three months later, I was at a party. And I got thrown to this tall man. Well, neither say any more. She said, he saved me and I loved him and we got married. Folks, when you come to devotion to Jesus Christ and surrender to Jesus Christ, it's, I love my master. I love my master. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Do you love your master? That's not head, is it? That's heart. That's fire. Have I got a heart for the things of God? I will not go out because I love my master. And in this passage, the nation of Israel is being formed. It's a message to the people who can hire servants and slaves. And they say, you can have a slave, you pay for this person for six years. But on the seventh year, a choice goes to the servant. And the choice is, you can walk free. You can claim your rights. You can claim, you know, what you should do. And you can walk free. And everything will be fine. But, if that servant, if that slave, loves his master, then the master had to arrange for him to be taken to a doorpost, and they get a bradle, which is like a screwdriver, but pointed, and they'd punch this hole into his ear onto the post. And they were saying, I'm dedicated to this task. But he said, I love my master. I will not go out. Five reasons why we should submit to Jesus Christ. Number one, God loves you. Have you ever stopped and unpacked that sentence? God loves me. Isn't that tremendous? That God, the mighty God, loves me. The mighty God loves you. Many years ago in a cowboy town, there's a boy and he was seeing a girl and he really loved this girl, but she wasn't convinced. And I don't know what you do in a cowboy town about this issue. I mean, would you buy a chocolates? I don't know if chocolates were about, but I don't know, you buy her a weed or something? <laughs> I don't know you. New horse. <laughs> and he, he happened to be a blacksmith. And it really bugged him that this girl he loved, he couldn't get the message across. And he told her, but she wasn't really convinced. And one day, a horse bolted at the shot of a gun. And this horse went right down the middle of the street. It was in shock. And the man, the young man who loved this girl, realised on top of the horse was the girl he loved. So he dropped his tools and he ran and he jumped onto the horse and he grabbed the reins and he clung on and he clung on and he clung on and he toppled him and turned for five miles. At the end, when it came to a standstill, the girl was clinging on, he clung on and he looked into her eyes and he said this, with blood coming out of his mouth, 
and his dying breath, I love you, didn't I? Do you know what Jesus says on Calvary? I love you, don't I? The pulpit is the cross where he preaches his greatest sermon. I love you, don't I? And folks, God loves you. And he's demonstrated his love towards us in that while we have blown it and made a mess and had no time for him, God loves me. The second reason is this. He loved me even though I'd fallen far from him. I love my master, but he loves me. Even though we were ruined. And we've got to understand something about this whole issue of sin, folks. I try and get it across to the kids and I say, look, Imagine I'm a dog, but I want to be a cat. I could drink milk and train myself to say meow. But would I still be a dog? Of course I would. Because it's not my behaviour, it's my nature, isn't it, that needs changing. Unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God, said Jesus to Nicodemus. And folks, it's not what you do. It's what you are. What I am, by the way I behave, and my actions, and my nature, is anti-God. I'm a rebel by birth. And folks, God still loves rebels like me and thee. And then thirdly, it's kind of God to involve me in his work at all. I mean, he could have just done it himself, couldn't he? Have you ever thought he could have wrote a tract in the sky? You know when you're on the beach and this aeroplane goes past and he's got this streamer out and it says, come to this fair or something. You know. He could have put a massive tract in the sky for all beach teams to read. Well, listen folks. God says, no, I'll involve you. I'll give you something to do. And whatever work takes place in Britain today, do you know what? Nothing will have eternity in it except for the eternal work that God has given you and me to do and other Christians to do. You know, if they don't meet Saturday, if they pass the law in Parliament, you know, today, it only lasts for time. But you and me, we can work with eternity in it. Fourthly. The gospel work that we're involved in works. And I can't understand our government. I can't understand our country wanting to get rid of the gospel. I'll tell you why. I was telling the team this a few weeks ago in St. Ives. For about ooh, 30 years now, I've been doing beach missions. And I've never heard one swear word. And I've had to live with these young people from Saturday to Saturday and some of them are students how about that they look like an unmade bed some of them not all of them just some of them and you've got to live with these people and they're a joy to live with I've never heard one swear word and there's probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teenagers I've lived alongside Keith what town do you live in I reckon I could walk you through Stoke-on-Trent this afternoon at three o'clock behind any group of teenagers you want to name and I'll hear the F word. 
don't you? And they want to get rid of us. It works, doesn't it? Because you can take a nasty character and you can make them kind. You can make a, take an ungrateful person and you can make them kind. I was reading a news report about this police officer from Glasgow and it was exactly one year to the day and he was on a case trying to solve the murder of this woman who was a street woman, a prostitute. And the reporter said, how much have you spent solving this crime? He said, to, the, to this day, we've been on it one year and we spent one million pounds of taxpayers' money. How close are you to solving the crime? Clueless, he said. We, we don't know where we're going. And yet, do you know what, folks? If that murderer, so if somebody like Gerard or Nigel or the prison ministries, and then he's caught and convicted or whatever, or here's your talk in the street, he can be transformed. And a great reason to be surrendered to Jesus Christ is you can be involved in that. And that will save our nation millions. And so, folks, for all these reasons, it's so important to know, to take a look at our hearts and say, are we really committed? A few years ago, Dr. Billy Graham, he came out in a sermon with a letter that he received from an American who was living in Mexico as a student. And in Mexico, he'd become a communist. So he wrote this letter to his fiancée, explaining to her why he could no longer have this relationship with her. Now listen to the standard of communism. We communists have a high calling and a high casualty rate. We're the ones that get slandered and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every, every other way made to feel uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us are killed and imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to live on. We communists don't have time or the money for movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent, name, uh, sorry, decent homes and new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world com communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. The communist cause is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread and my meat. I work at it in the daytime and I dream at it at night. Its hold on me grows the more every day. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship or a love affair or even a conversation without relating to this force which both guides and drives my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, actions according to what they say about communism. By their attitude towards it, I already have been in jail for my ideas and if necessary, I am ready to be going before a firing squad. It, um, if communists can be as devoted as this, said Billy Graham, how much more should Christians to their cause? So I want to ask you a straight question, folks. Are you surrendered to Jesus Christ? If they can do it with such ideology and error and false teaching and you're telling me you've got the living God then shouldn't you be just as committed?
or more. And folks, when you think about what kicked off communism, it's amazing. In 1903, Lenin had 17 followers. In 1918, he had 40,000 followers. And with 40,000, he gained control of a third of the world's population, 160 million people in Russia. And he said, with a handful of dedicated people who, who will give me their lives, I can control the world. 160 million people. And so, folks, I ask the question, do I love my master? Now, you can fight for your rights, but this slave didn't fight for his rights. He just put them to death. And he said, I love my master. I will not go out. So I want to ask you some questions. Am I a person who loves my master? You know, in many years of our lives, can we really say, yep, Jesus Christ is really Lord of my life. Let me ask you some simple questions. Am I bored to the door because I love my master in my devotional life? Do I really get into God's word and is God's word getting into me? Do I really spend time each day reading, loving God's word and finding Christ there? Or has it slipped? Or is it non-existent? Because, folks, the greatest thing I reckon you can do for a human being on planet Earth is to give them and impart to them a love for God's word because wherever they go, they can be greatly used. Can I ask you a question? Do you read God's word daily? Do I? Do I love spending time in there? Or maybe, how do you get on at home? Now, I remember when I'd become a Christian and I knew that my life at home was different to my life in a conference like this. And it dawned on me that actually these people who I take for granted call my relatives, how I treat them is how I treat Jesus Christ. And then it dawned on me how I treat you and you treat me is how we treat Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, if you do it to the least of one of these, you do it to me. And so, folks, can I ask you lovingly, do you get on with your dad well? Mum? Is anybody here you need to make a phone call to say, Mum, I'm sorry for the way I've been living. Your brother? Now I know brothers are a pain. I've got five of them. And I know sisters are a nice pain. And I've got six of them. And they think I'm a pain. And we're all pains together. God bless the pain. It's good. But my point is this. Am I helpful at home? Are you? Who does the washing up in your house? Now don't sit there thinking, we feed the dishwasher. <laughs> Do you think it feeds itself? Lords itself? People notice folks, don't they? If what I say and profess is not backed up, forget it. Quick. Quick now. 
Because unless we've got the love of God in us, people will not care how much you know until they know how much you care, as people say. What about the whole issue of my giving? Now I know we're going through a recession, but folks, do I give to God's work? Or do I just give the minimum because this slave could have just said, well, it's my right, I can go and they say, fine, it is your right, we wish you well. But if you've got a heart, you go further, don't you? And folks, I want to ask you, do you give? Do I give? Do I give to a cause? You know, it might be work in India with a metropolitan mission, it might be the beach missions, and maybe you can talk to Dave Johnson about that in the treasure. Your church, my church, an individual who's struggling. Am I a person who gives? Are you an infectious giver? Or are you like the rest of the population, mourners? You sit on the tube in London and hear the 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak, thou shalt not smile. <laughs> Alright. But folks, what we're doing folks in our countries, feeding the head, and yet it was Warren Wearsby who said, the head will grow by what it takes in, and the heart will grow by what it gives out. I wonder, do I give out? Because I love my master. And then folks, I wonder in terms of, am I bored to the door? Do I love my master? And I am willing to speak up for him. I am willing to say, Lord, yeah, I do love you. I will speak up. You know, can you get a mission going in your church? Can I get a mission going where I am? Am I willing to go and stand with the crackpot society oddballs called born-again Christians at the end of my precinct? And yet halfway through the week, my mates from work will say, I saw you on Saturday, I saw you. One woman said that to me this week. I saw you on Saturday. I said, you ought to stop it. It's really good stuff, you know. Well, I don't know what she thought. But Am I willing to do that? And yet, folks, you'll find this. You call an open air, and then at night there's a wedding event or there's a party, and all the Christians roll up. And three or four turn up to an open air. Do you think God smiles at that? He doesn't, does he? Because, folks, there's one bit of the Bible the Christian church does not believe there is a hell. I don't believe for a minute that the Christian church believes there's a hell. Do you know why? Can you see anybody pulling down trees to reach people? Can you go to a prayer meeting where people are broken in tears because of the lost? Well, they're not lost, are they? Jesus was just having a laugh, having us all on. If there's a real place called hell, folks, have I loved, do I love my master that I want to go and reach? And so, folks, I simply ask the question, do I love my master? Will I go and reach them? There was a man in Northern Ireland who was driving his car along and he was pushing for an appointment and he was getting very agitated because he hit a traffic queue. 
And many of you travelling, you know the dangers and problems of travelling on our motorways, particularly at the weekends. And it's very frustrating. And he was in this queue and he had an appointment, but the, the queue was next to a river. And in the distance there was a little bridge. And the kerfuffle and the blue light was all flashing a bit further down, so he thought, I'll just go along. And he said, this, who's, who, what's happening here? Is it roadworks? What is it? Come on. And he's having a go at the police saying, can't you get it sorted? I need to get through. When he walked onto the top of the bridge, he saw the car that was upside down. It was his brother's. He said, paramedics, where are they? Has somebody got to him? Where is he? Is he okay? He loved his brother, so he got concerned. I love my master, so I love what my master loves to do. And I take his concerns. Is that me? And can I ask you, I'm a board to the door, I love my master, that I won't do anything to offend him. What do you watch on the telly? Is it pure? Is it clean? Can Jesus Christ sit on my settee and laugh at that screen what I'm laughing at? Can he do it in your living room? I love my master. I will not go out. And folks... If you want to invade a castle, do you know what you're going to do? For all those who want to invade a castle, get ready. In case you're coming over, Steve, and Wesley from Northern Ireland to attack us. And we've got you, you know, we know you're coming one at a time. <laughs> what you'll find dotted around the country, especially in Wales, there are castles and they're all relics now, but they're the big drawbridge. What you've got to do is you've got to think, right, how do I get into this castle? Trampoline? Nah. I've got to pull down the drawbridge and then I can run in with all my men and beat them all up. It's huge. This huge structure has got to come down 90 degrees. Actually, it doesn't. It's only got to move five degrees and down it comes. Am I looking at dirty things on the telly? Are you? Because if you budge just five degrees, there's enough seed in your heart for you to be tomorrow's adulterer. Do you believe that? Or do you love your master? I will not go out. And so it comes back to this simple thing, folks. Will I come to him? And will I say, oh God, change my heart. Give me a heart like yours. It's hard to sit next to your dying brother. Very hard. Well, folks, have you got a heart for the loss? Do you love your master? And what it means from today, if God speaks, you walk through that door, you've got to change. Pathetic preaching is you walk through that door where you came in and there's no change. Because you might as well not enter the building. And this slave said, I love my master. And so folks had said to you, love your master, the one who loved you, who died for you on a cross. 
Nick was telling me this week, Nick Angel, about a film was made, and the film was all to do with Abraham sacrificing Isaac on Mount Moriah. And it's the morning of the sacrifice, and Abraham picks up the child, and he goes towards Moriah. And as he's leaving, Sarah says to Abraham, Is there nothing you want sacrifice for your God? And he says, Nothing. And just in closing, folks, I want to um, use one little illustration. Dave Norbury shared this with me about two years ago. And I, I, one of the problems of speaking at this reunion, some of you have heard stories before, but I just feel that this gets over the point that I've got to perhaps use it. He told me about some film, whatever it was, where a man was responsible to run across the battlefields and give first aid to people who'd been injured. And he, he stopped himself with bandages and he ran. I think the thing was called Band of Brothers or something. And he ran. So if there was a bomb or if somebody fell and there was some shrapnel fell, his job, when it cleared, was to run to the little foxhole and find the person injured and treat them. The only thing was this. The hospital was about a mile away and in the hospital was a girl, nurse, who he loved. And so... On this occasion, there was an explosion and he treated the man and then there's a gap in the warfare and he went to the hospital to see the girl he loved and he got some more bandages. As he left the hospital to go back to his work, a bomb dropped and he turned and he went back in and there she was on the floor, his dying sweetheart. She'd gone. And he was utterly broken. She was wearing a scarf. And he picked up the scarf and he just sniffed it. And he paused for a moment. And he put it in his pocket. And he left to do his job. Well, for the next two hours he continued. And then an explosion went off. And he ran to a soldier. And he had no bandages left. So out of his pocket, he picked up the scarf and he hesitated and he wrapped it round the man's leg and turned away. His last memory of the girl he loved, he gave it up. Is there anything in your heart that you're not giving up? My heart that I'm not giving up? I love my master. I will not go out. And listen, folks. It wasn't the wounds that held Jesus to Calvary and the nails, you know. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness fell across the face of the world. In that darkness, Jesus said his fourth and most powerful saying, My God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the one who knew no sin, the one who heaven worshipped, the only person in the whole of humanity who can walk planet earth and never sinned, utterly pure, became sin for you on the cross. After that Bradford fire disaster, they actually said 41 people had died, but
but the official figure at the end of the toll was 40. So a man asked the reporter, you said there was 41 and now you're saying there's only 40, what's happened? And this is what the man replied. He said, well, what we thought was a human being and the charred remains of a human being was actually welded together plastic chairs. They were so badly burnt, those bodies, we couldn't make a distinction. Do you know when the darkness lifted on Calvary, folks, people looked at that grotesque figure on the cross and the Bible says they just beat their breasts and turn away. God loves you. Do you love him? Do I love him? Do I love my master? And I won't go out. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on a cross that I wouldn't spend one day, one moment in hell. And yet, Lord, I want to be an obedient servant. I pray that this will be my word. I love you, Lord, and therefore I will not go out. I won't insist on my own rights, but I'll commit them to Jesus Christ and I ask him to be my Lord in any area of my life, whichever one you want to touch. You know, and I'm willing to bend, but I'm willing to bend because the love of God is set on me. Help me while on planet Earth to be a credit to the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.